You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, City on a Hill, my name's Dave, part of the team here. Excited to be with you and delighted to let you know that this week I learned a new word, Mondegreen. You might not know what that is, but you've probably done one. In fact, I reckon you've probably done it a few times. I, I know I have. I, I'm ashamed to admit how often I commit a mondegreen in my life. Far more than someone my age should do it. A mondegreen is the moment when you're in the car and you're singing along to that song you love and you get to the chorus and you belt out the words and the friend sitting next to you says, wait, hold on a second, what? What do you think the lyrics are? I'm pretty sure that's wrong. A mondegreen is a lyric or a, or a word in a song that you've totally misheard. Right? This is what happens when the band sings, we built this city on rock and roll and you hear, we built this city on sausage rolls. A mondegreen is what happens when the world is full of people who listen to the Eurythmics and think that sweet dreams are made of cheese. That's what a mondegreen is. One of my favorites is from a band called Credence Clearwater Revival. They've got this song named Bad Moon Rising. And there's a, a dark, brooding, dramatic line that says, there's a bad moon on the rise. But a whole lot of people heard there's a bad moon on the rise and thought they said there's a bathroom on the right. And it happened so often that the band eventually started singing There's a Bathroom on the Right at their gigs because they got so tired of having to correct everyone after the gig. So that's a mondegreen. When you're listening to a song or something and you hear what you want to hear, you mishear it and you fill in the gaps. 
Here's the thing about a Mondegreen. As soon as you've got one stuck in your head, it's really hard to unlearn it. As soon as you think the song is about cheese, dreams don't make sense. As soon as you think of a city built on sausage rolls, a city built on rock and roll just seems silly. In fact, unlearning these wrong lyrics is so difficult that you're probably worse off than someone who's never heard the song before. If you've never heard this song, you've got a better chance of understanding it than someone who's been listening to it for ages. Which brings us to our passage today. The story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, which, if you grew up a Christian, is a fairly famous story. It's in kids' Bibles everywhere. And I reckon if you've surveyed a bunch of people who've been Christian for a while and asked them, what do you know about Zacchaeus? Every single one of them would tell you this. He's short. There's that song, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He's a wee little man. He's short and possibly Irish, if that limerick is to be believed. But if that's what we think when we hear Zacchaeus, if the thing that comes to mind is that he's short, there's a danger that we're mishearing this story. Because often when Jesus decides to hang out with Zacchaeus in Luke 19, people think there's hope for little people everywhere. And my mum, who's like five foot two, starts to rejoice. But what if that's not what the story's about? What if that's not what this story is here for? What if the whole short thing is actually a bit of a distraction? Now, I don't want to freak you out, but there is a little bit of debate about whether Zacchaeus is the short one in this story. If you look at the sentence, it says he couldn't see through the crowd because he was short, but it doesn't say who he is. Some have suggested that maybe Jesus was the short one. Now, I'm not convinced that that's the case. I think Zacchaeus is the short one, but it's interesting to note how quickly we all assumed Zacchaeus has to be the one who's short. We just went straight there, didn't we? We heard the lyrics we wanted to hear in this story. So I'm willing to bet that if you grew up in church, if you've spent a lot of time with kids' Bibles, you might need to unlearn a bit about Zacchaeus. But on the flip side, if you've got no idea who Zacchaeus is, take heart. If you're totally brand new to the Bible, you might even be at an advantage when it comes to understanding this part of it. So for all of us, whether we've been at this a long time or not, we want to look at what's here in the text in front of us and see what we can see. What do we know about Zacchaeus for sure? To help us navigate this story, I've got three headings. And the first one is this, an unlikely convert. Pick it up with me in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. That's Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. There's a couple of details there that, that become the two key pillars of Zacchaeus's identity. If we've been reading Luke closely until now, we'll know that the fact Zacchaeus is a, is a tax collector and the fact that he's rich makes him an incredibly unpopular man and an extremely unlikely convert. 
one of the details there is that he's the chief tax collector. What's a tax collector? Well, you've heard of Robin Hood, right? He's a man of the people. He doesn't have much for himself. He lives off very little, but in the pursuit of justice, he robs from the rich and gives to the poor. Well, a tax collector is the exact opposite of that. They steal from the poor and give to the rich. They betray their own people and they look after themselves. They don't just collect taxes. They take a little bit extra. So they might take a cut for themselves. And you notice the other detail in verse 2, Zacchaeus was rich, which means not only was he corrupt, he was really good at it. So when we talk about Zacchaeus, we're not talking about a little man you should feel sorry for. We're talking about a white-collar criminal. He's the villain in every casino heist movie you've ever seen. He's too rich for his own good. He's going to be tough to bring down, but nothing about him suggests that he's weak. Nothing about him suggests you you should feel sorry for him because he's just not an underdog. He's a bad guy. It's hard to imagine a more despised guy amongst the masses than Zacchaeus. Nobody is rooting for this guy to get the endorsement of Jesus. But there's something about him that makes him even more unlikely to find himself being welcomed in by Jesus. In the chapter before this one, we heard it last week, Jesus meets a rich ruler. And this guy seems like a good guy. He earnestly goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. The guy says, check, I'm doing pretty well there. And so Jesus says, well then, sell everything you've got. Give it away and come follow me. The guy walks away sad because he was very rich. Here's a guy who looks like he ticks all the boxes, but his wealth becomes a barrier. And so as this ruler walks away sad, Jesus says something to the crowd around him. He says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's a pretty big theme in Luke. When it comes to your salvation, money is dangerous. You could put it this way, a rich man's chance in heaven is not that different to a snowball's chance in hell. Or if you like, spiritually speaking, the age-old proverb, more money, more problems. Luke talks about money and wealth and possessions and the rich and the poor more than any other writer in the New Testament. And again and again and again, Jesus comes down on the side of the poor. In chapter 6, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In chapter 12, he says, The one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God is a fool. In chapter 16, he says, You cannot serve both God and money. And then in chapter 18, we see it play out as the rich ruler walks away sad because he's not willing to lose his possessions. To be clear, it's not impossible for a rich person to be saved because nothing's impossible with God. 
We'll see that in a minute, but it is unlikely. And we've got to keep that in mind when we read the story of Zacchaeus in chapter 19. Because he's rich. So when we read this story, having just seen what Jesus says about the wealthy, we've got to be thinking Zacchaeus is a bad guy and he's a rich guy. Surely he's got a snowball's chance in hell. Of all the people who Jesus has encountered so far in Luke's gospel, I reckon there is no one less likely to enter the kingdom than Zacchaeus. Which brings us to our second heading, an undignified pursuit. Look at verse 2 again. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. We're not told what's happened to Zacchaeus to make him interested in Jesus. Maybe it's a crisis of conscience. Maybe he's just heard on the grapevine that Jesus is a good guy. But it's pretty clear Zacchaeus is unlikely to get an audience with Jesus. Partly because he's a bad dude, partly because he's a rich dude, and partly because he's at a physical disadvantage too. He can't even see Jesus. There's a crowd in the way and he cannot get a look. But but what happens next is something that nobody saw coming. Zacchaeus completely embarrasses himself. Verse 4, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You, you've got to understand, in the first century, men don't run. They certainly don't climb trees. That's the stuff of children. It's unprofessional. It, it's humiliating. But Zacchaeus seems willing to, be, willing to become completely undignified in his pursuit of Jesus. Zacchaeus puts himself out on a limb, both physically and socially, as he becomes willing to completely humiliate himself just to get a look at Jesus as he walks past. But then comes the biggest surprise of all in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus sees this little man in the tree. He sees this guy out on a limb and he invites himself over to his house, which is kind of a big deal to, to, to stay with someone like that. To break bread with someone like that, that, that's a deep level of acceptance. Here, Jesus is embracing Zacchaeus. And in the eyes of everybody watching, what Jesus is doing with Zacchaeus is an undignified pursuit. It's totally unprofessional. It's completely humiliating. At least the crowd seems to think so there in verse 7. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. To go and embrace someone like this, it, it's just not right. It can't be, can it? Well, we'll get there in a minute. But as an aside, as we walk through this passage, I think it's worth noticing what this 
kind of acceptance does to Zacchaeus. The fact that Jesus sees him, welcomes him, accepts him, breaks bread with him, it turns his life upside down. In verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. If there's any doubt about this acceptance, Jesus casts it away. Salvation has come to this house. But you see what's happening in Zacchaeus? His life is turned upside down by this acceptance. As he does exactly what the rich ruler of chapter 18 could not do. Though the ruler walks away sad because he wants to hold on to his wealth, Zacchaeus gladly, joyfully gives it away. And it shows not just that we should be generous when we become Christians, although I think lots in the Bible would suggest that's true. I think what we're seeing here is that you cannot serve both God and money. Here we have two examples, someone who's not willing to lose it and someone who doesn't mind so much. In fact, someone who's joyful, glad in giving to the poor because his stuff is less important than his saviour. So it's worth asking, if you are a believer, what's your relationship to your stuff like? How hard would it be to give it away like Zacchaeus does? And if it's really difficult, if the idea of that makes you sad, if you tend to side with the rich young ruler in this, it's worth asking. Am I trying to serve both God and money? Because what we see in Zacchaeus is not just a good example of, of financial generosity. What we see in Zacchaeus is freedom. Someone who's been freed to give away his possessions. But it all starts with the radical kind of acceptance that Jesus extends him first. And that takes us to our third heading, an almost unbelievable God. I've got a landlord at the moment who doesn't seem that excited to hear from me when I reach out. To be fair, usually when I contact the landlord, it's not just to tell them they're doing a fantastic job. It's because I want something, right? The shower head needs replacing, the dishwasher's broken, we put a golf ball through the back window, whatever it is. Don't worry, that hasn't happened for ages. But whatever the reason is, whenever I get in contact, it's pretty clear they'd rather not hear from me. And honestly, I think that's fine. That's, that's totally normal, in fact. I get how I might be a little bit annoying to them. But it's to my shame that I so readily think of God as more like that landlord than a loving Heavenly Father. 
it's to my shame that so often I assume my God would rather not hear from me. That I'm just another item on the to-do list, another email in the inbox for him to deal with. That's just not true. That doesn't bring God glory. That, That sells him short because he loves me more than that. He loves you more than that. And if we're ever prone to think of God as a little bit standoffish, as a reluctant listener, as someone who maybe gets bored of hearing from us, then I want to suggest we have to unlearn some stuff. And this passage can help. After all, Jesus came to embrace people like Zacchaeus. It's right there on the lips of Jesus himself in verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's who he's looking for. That's why he's come. And what's more, if you look closely, you notice the language he uses to do it in verse 5. He doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you better come down. We need to talk. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Almost as though Jesus is eager to spend time with this man. Almost as though he's excited to extend the hand of relationship to him. Jesus knows his name. You see it there in verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. It could be some sort of miraculous knowledge that means Jesus knows his name. It could just be he knows him by reputation. Either way, Jesus has to know the kind of man he's talking to. And even then, he's determined to spend time with him. Maybe even excited about it. It's worth pausing to ponder, is that how you picture Jesus? Is that how you think Jesus feels about you? When you go to pray, do you imagine that God is glad to hear from you? Or do you tend to think of him as more of a reluctant listener? When you sing, are you thinking he's listening more like a proud father or a pretty unimpressed talent show judge? When you turn to him in need, is he someone who's eager to give you good gifts or the grumpy upstairs neighbor who'd rather be left alone? When you go to God to confess your sins, do you picture him as gracious or grumpy? See, it might be that as you look closely at this portrait of Jesus, it doesn't match with your understanding of God. It doesn't match with your feelings about God. And if that's you, you might need to unlearn some stuff. Author Dane Ortland says it this way, the Christian life is a lifelong shedding of tepid thoughts of the goodness of God. The rest of our days will be a wrestle to believe that God really is as good as he actually is. And where do we start? 
Well, we start with the Bible. Let the Bible show us who Jesus is and what God is like. I mean, just think back over the encounters we've seen in this series. As Jesus shows compassion to the leper in chapter 5, believe that he has that kind of compassion for you. As he shows mercy to the sinful woman in chapter 7, believe that Jesus has that same kind of mercy to you. As he shows kindness to the bleeding woman in chapter 8, believe that God himself has that kindness towards you. And as Jesus takes the most unlikely, unlovable convert in Zacchaeus and he embraces him, believe that God's really like that. That's who he is. This is not out of character for him in any way. He's glad to mount an undignified pursuit of even the worst of sinners. He loves to seek and save the lost, including you. Now, I know as well as anyone that that kind of thinking doesn't come naturally to us. We tend to assume that God is going to treat us like a landlord. And I think it's because that's how we would treat ourselves. If we were in his position, we wouldn't be prone to mercy like he is. If, he, if we were, were faced with the same decisions he is about whether to accept all the darkest parts of us, I'm not sure we'd do it. The great news of the gospel is that God is not like us. He's so much better than that. And so we need to unlearn that tendency to think of God as a landlord. We need to shed those thoughts of God as as a reluctant listener or, or a disapproving judge. He's not a grumpy old man who'd rather be left alone. And that's why these stories are here, to show us what Jesus is like, to show us what God himself is like. He is absolutely holy, holier than us. He condemns sin. And yet he welcomes sinners in the most radical ways. He extends deep forgiveness. He pursues them even to the point of dying on a cross in their place so that he might welcome them and us into his family. So if there's any reluctance for you in coming to God, if you've been a believer for a while, but but you're shy when it comes to praying to God or or confessing your sins or, or, or trying to just spend time with Him. If you have a sense that somehow God's going to look down His nose at you and, and just grumble, you're filling in the gaps all wrong. That, that's how the crowd might treat Zacchaeus. They grumble about the idea, but God's not like them. He's not like us. He's so wonderfully different and he's glad 
to seek and save the lost. You don't need to be shy because God's not like your landlord. He's a loving heavenly father. If you're not a believer yet, I want to warn you not to make a mistake. See, see, I know plenty of people who aren't believers, and that's fine. That's totally up to you. But I don't know many people who have rejected this Jesus. There are some, but, but more often than not, the people I talk to who don't believe, they've rejected a Mondegreen Jesus. They've filled in the gaps of this story with the wrong lyrics. They've got absolutely no idea how much he really loves them because they're hearing something else rather than seeing what's here. And so when they meet this Jesus, they're, they're shocked and surprised at how kind he is, how much he actually cares for them, how much he really wants them. So please, if you're not a believer, don't reject a Mondegreen Jesus. You can choose to follow Jesus or you can choose not to. That's totally up to you. But at least reject the real Jesus, won't you? See, I want to suggest that if your understanding of Christianity is based on an upbringing full of religious rules and restrictions. Or if you went to a, a Christian school that was really unhelpful, or if you've been rejected and judged by Christians, you might have some stuff to unlearn about who God is. Because He's not like that. Don't assume you know what God is like. Let him tell you. Let him show you through stories like this one that he longs to welcome anyone and everyone, even the unpopular, even the unlikely, even the unlovable. God longs to bring them in. So why do you think that he wouldn't want you? He does. So let the Jesus we meet in Luke's gospel speak louder than your assumptions. Let the Jesus we meet here speak louder than your mistakes. Shape your view of what God is like and of how he thinks about you, how he feels about you. Let that be shaped by what he says about himself. See what God's like as we see Jesus embrace Zacchaeus and believe that he wants you too. It doesn't matter if you're short or tall. It doesn't matter if you're unlikely or, or unlovable or unpopular. It doesn't matter if you look righteous or totally criminal. Jesus wants you.
and he sees you and he wants to welcome you in. So come, follow him. If you want to take a step towards that, you can press the button that says raise a hand to become a Christian. You can put something in the comments to say you'd like to chat to someone. We've got people who love to pray with you about that. But whatever you do, don't reject a Mondegreen Jesus. See what God's actually like. Believe that he's this good, he's this kind, he's this gracious and come to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that the reality of who you are blows our assumptions out of the water. That the good news of the gospel is way better than we could imagine ourselves. Please give us faith to believe it and to be transformed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.